We acknowledge that we are on Treaty 6 territory, the gathering grounds of many diverse First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples, whose footsteps mark this land and whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant community. Hello and welcome back to Research Recast at the Knowledge Mobilization Podcast. I'm Dylan Cave and I'm here with Brittany Eklund. This summer, we're taking some time to catch up with last season's researchers. Today, we're following up with episode six guest, Aaron Cowling, and talking about a new sub-discipline being called Siglo Latinx, or the Latinx Century. Joining us through the magic of editing will be research assistant, Amanda Funmayor, who has sent us a voice memo chronicling her work sourcing materials, which is no easy task in such a new discipline. If you haven't given Aaron's episode a listen, we recommend going back and checking that out before we dive in today. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. How are things since we last spoke? Things are good. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, it's going to be great to, to catch up on all the research that you re- you've been doing. It's nice because when we were first interviewing people, we were like, oh yeah, we'd love to catch up without knowing that catch-ups would actually happen. Yeah, we so. made them happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy through. we made these up. Um, so yeah, today, obviously, we'd really like to dive right in to, I mean, a new sub-discipline. Uh, can you tell us about Siglo Latinx? Yeah, so the term uh, we took from two terms that already exist, Siglo de Oro, which is the golden age or the golden century, uh, which is what I normally study, which is a period between 1550 and 1700. And it's considered the golden age because there is such a flourishing of cultural production, not just literature, but art. This is the Baroque period. And so it's a it's a major period of creation in Spain. Um, And so normally, like you guys know, I study that period. I specifically focus on theater. And so we decided what we wanted to do. And when I say we, I'm talking about myself and a colleague in the U.S., Glenda Nieto Cuevas, who's at Ohio Wesleyan University. Um, We decided what we really wanted to look at now is how these plays are being produced by people who consider themselves Latinx, meaning people who have come from Latin America and settled in mostly Canada and the U.S., right? And how they are using these plays to actually look at their own experiences. And so they're kind of re- taking these things and making them their own. Okay. And so just to get it right, you and this colleague have basically created a sub discipline of, of research. Yeah. So we have been working with um, performers and we know a lot of people working with performers, but mainly in Spain and a little bit in Latin America who work on these plays And we've decided that what we really need to do now is look at how these plays are being used by people who are sort of the colonial descendants of Spain who have come now to Canada and the U.S. and have had their own experiences and how they are adapting these plays to their lived experience. Okay, so this isn't like people say who have come up from South America. Like this is specifically, or it is? Yeah. Okay, okay. So anyone... Who's defined? So it's anyone who defines themselves as being a descendant of the colonial Spanish. Okay. Okay. So era. Perfect. And um, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about what what differences there might be? Anything that you've noticed? Like, how long have you been working on this subdiscipline? 
So this started about a year ago. We started talking about this, um, but really like deeply working in it probably the last few months. Um, so I was just in Spain this summer. We were putting on a conference finally in Spain. Uh, we've been trying to do this for three years. It's been virtual for a couple of years. We finally got back to Spain. Uh, and so both of us presented on plays that we've seen over the last couple of years, either virtually or in person, by people who consider themselves Latinx, mostly in the U.S. at this point. Um, we've been in talks with some people with in Canada, but we haven't actually gone to see anything yet. Um, but the really interesting thing is that they are adapting things like Don Quixote, which I, I think a lot of people know. Absolutely. Don, Don yeah. Quixote, as we say in English. Um to the borderlands, right? So we went and saw in um, Denver in May with some students, including Amanda, a play called Quixote Nuevo, so the new Quixote. And it was by a playwright named Octavio Solis, who grew up in El Paso, Texas, right on the border. And his lived experience is being a Latinx person living on the U.S. side of that border, but knowing people from both sides of the border. And so he brings Quixote to those borderlands. And instead of being like this white knight who's trying to save the Spanish empire, he is now an old man who thinks he's a knight, which is always the case, but he is living on the borderland and protecting the people who are trying to cross the border. Okay. So... That was one of the plays that we talked about. The other one is by a playwright named Adrienne Dawes. <laughs> Her name is Adrienne Dawes. Um, and she is a Afro-Latinx playwright who grew up in Texas as well, who is just kind of getting to know her Spanish roots. She didn't grow up speaking Spanish, um, but she's starting to learn more about Spain and Spanish and how that affected all the people in Latin America and people like her who grew up in Texas. Um, and she took a play by Lope de Vega and turned it into basically Fire Festival. No. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and instead of nobles who have all this power, it's influencers who oh, have wow. all this power and are telling people under them how to behave and what to <laughs> Brilliant. do. Yeah. It's really awesome. So that was the other one that we talked about at this conference this summer. I love how people put modern twists on these things to make it more relevant to what we're going through. Yeah. And that's totally the point of this new subdiscipline is like, how do we still talk about things that were written 400, 500 years ago in a way that is relevant, not just to our students, but also to the audiences and to the people who are creating these plays? That's so interesting. The Part of the research that I'd been doing last year um, had to do with a similar thing, but in ballet. So we took an old classic ballet, Capellia, and turned it into this new thing called Capellia AI. And it became, instead of uh, Coppelia is a puppet mm -hmm. um, and controlled by this puppeteer and comes to life th through that puppeteer, where we've turned it into like a humanoid robot and added like a whole bunch of different modern twists on gender role playing and things like that. And uh, I, I think taking, taking all not old things, but taking classic things like that yeah. and putting modern twists on them is kind of... I don't know, it's it's a little bit of counterculture mixed in with, um, I don't know. Well, like, is it even counterculture? And like, Aaron, you know, you, you study theater, um, Golden Age theater um, in Spain, and I'm wondering if this kind of new subdiscipline is part of a growing trend for people in the arts, literature, 
to start reimagining a how things are interpreted now, but how things are created now. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And I think it's just like going back to your point, it speaks to how some of these classics, even though if you first read them, you think, oh, this is just old. It's in, you know, either old English or old Spanish or whatever. It's not relevant to me. And as we start to say, like, look, it really is very similar to something that's happening now. It speaks to the human condition and how we think we've changed a lot in 500 years. Maybe Maybe not not as much as we think, right? I mean, yeah, the humanity, really, how we act on our humanity has changed and the methods we use, but... But, but these the play- underlying stories. And, but these plays are poking, almost poking fun at how how uh, systemic things were back then, like the the issues that were happening back then. But then we can take them now and reinterpret them into really poke at them and say, you know what, the, the way this was written maybe was flawed, mm-hmm. and now we're writing it in our way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's something um, that we are going to have Amanda join us from the. I don't know, eerie, (laughs) mystical ether of editing um, is going to talk a little bit about it. But I'd love to hear your perspective in, you know, when you're working in such a new subdiscipline, what are the challenges there with finding, you know, whether it's supporting research, finding resources, doing a literature review, like how, how tricky are these things? It is more tricky than, you know, when I read a play and I say, oh, I think it's about this and I come up with a new interpretation, but there's all these like sort of baseline interpretations that I can rely on, right? I think it's one of those things that you have to be willing to take risks. You have to be willing to say, there isn't anything written about this, so I'm just going to do it Um, and, and come up with something new and original that may or may not be accepted in the way that you hope, but that you think is worth getting out there, right? And I think for both myself and my collaborator, Glenda, one of the things for us that is really worth getting out there is the work that is being done by these Latinx artists, right? That has been maybe not ignored like in their local context, but hasn't gotten the same recognition outside of those local contexts that that we think it deserves. I think it's really interesting, you know, you're talking about the difficulties with with sourcing material for Silo Latinx, but it's also interesting because the last time we spoke to you, we touched on the difficulty of when you're working with such old texts mm-hmm. of sourcing your materials there. So you've chosen a really... <laughs> yeah, I've, I really like to go for those really difficult to find things. I don't know. I think it's it's super interesting to be the person who digs something up or decides like, hey, let's talk about this in a different way and see what happens. Absolutely. And on that note, we're going to take a teensy, eensy, bitty, bitty break here. And we're going to hear from Amanda Fuenmayor. So my role in the project so far has been to transcribe interviews for Dr. Cowlin. And it's basically transcribing interviews for playwrights or people who have been in the play. And it's been very interesting because I have also been able to um, come up with questions and interview them myself, which has been, you know, very rewarding and really amazing. And I also have to do uh, literature reviews. So I have to find information on set plays or information on um, 
background information or what the play is about. And it has been quite tough because it is a very new topic. Um, when I was doing some literature review, I actually couldn't find a lot of information on certain plays or certain or even find plays itself because it is so new. But um, now that I'm trying to find what the plays are about a little bit more or the background information of it, it has been a little easier. Um, there's still not a lot of information out there, especially with the newer plays. But other than that, the experience has been very good and, and I find that very rewarding. And I think that if any student is looking to try and do research um, and they're scared, I think that they should do it because it's a, it's a very good experience for sure. I also want to say that um, Dr. Aaron Cowlin and I work really well together, um, at least I think so. Um, she's she's really great, and she's also giving me a lot of opportunities. Like I'm supposed to go abroad this summer or this fall, sorry, and I'm very excited for it. And I still get to work with her along the process. So, um, like I said, it has been very exciting and a really awesome experience. I I really love working with her and and especially the the research, like what the research is about, because I I'm Latina myself and. I think that when people are trying to rewrite the plays or um, come up with a new story as, as you know, Latinos, I think that that's really awesome and that it's really interesting work. All right. Thank you, Amanda, for that. Um, so Siglo Latinx, uh, can we expect to see this coming into McEwen curriculum anytime soon? Yeah, actually, um, I'm hoping to bring a group from Mexico in the winter semester to work with my translation class and possibly with some of the fine arts classes um, on what they've been doing. We are kind of including Mexico because of the, the borderlands and the fact that it is technically part of North America. People don't always think of it that way, but it is, right? And it's part of those North American, it's no longer the North American Free Trade Agreement, but those U.S., Canadian, Mexican free trade agreements. And so we think, especially as a place that's sort of a transitionary place for a lot of people who come to cross the border into the U.S., it's an important part of it. So they will hopefully be able to come in the winter, do a little bit of a piece that we adapted with a couple of McEwen students a couple of years ago um, during the pandemic and and work with my translation class on doing subtitling and things like that. Um, so that's a piece that I'm hoping to bring uh, of course, like I always, when I'm teaching classes um, at that upper level, I try to bring in what I'm doing, what I think is important. I think like I've, I don't know that I've said this specifically, but I think this Latinx component is really important for our students in Canada and the U.S. We have a large number of uh, Hispanic background or Sp Spanish speaking students who actually come and take those upper level classes with us. Um, and so, like, I want to see them be able to see themselves reflected in the work that we're doing, even though we're talking about things that are hundreds of years old, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I would love to come mm -hmm. see a play here. We have the theater. We um, do. But an interesting note, I saw yesterday that Spanish is one of the most spoken languages in Edmonton. Yep. Like yeah, we have a huge Hispanic no population in Edmonton. Yeah, which people love think, it. yeah, like, you got Little Italy, you got Chinatown, but... There is a ton of Spanish speakers here. So, um, yeah, let us know if there is a play. Will do. I would love to come see it. 
Um, as for any Canadian plays mm -hmm. that um, you can study as Siglo Latinx, um, anything you want to tease? Any interesting artists or playwrights that, that you've got your eye on here in Canada? So there's a group in Vancouver called Puente Theater, I think. I think it's like Puente in Spanish and theater in English, if I'm not mistaking that. Um, and they did a few years ago a version of La Monja Alférez, or The Lieutenant Nun. Um, and that's a play about a woman who existed, well, a person who existed, I should say, uh, named Catalina de Arauso at birth who decided in the late 1500s that she did not want to become a nun, which was the path her parents had chosen for her. Uh, so she left the nunnery and cut off all her hair and refashioned her clothes to look a little bit more masculine and got on a boat in Seville and went over to the New World to take part in the conquest. Um, and so there's a play written about her as well as her own autobiography that we have about her. And she, um, or they, I should say, eventually actually got papal dispensation. So she went to, they went to the Pope and said, I would like to live the rest of my life as a man. Spain is saying I cannot. And the Pope said, eh, go ahead. Hey. Go to Mexico, live out your life the way you want to. That's a very progressive Pope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for the time. For the time, for sure. I mean, even for now. Even for now. I would say. <laughs> um, perfect. Well, we will link to those things. I definitely want to link to Puente Theater, Nuevo Quixote, and... Mm -hmm. I will send you all those. Perfect. Um, so those will all be in the episode description. The last thing we kind of really want to dig into is last time we spoke, uh, chocolate. Was... Still haven't been given any. Still haven't. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but your book on chocolate, um, I believe, had just been released or was about to be released. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit um, about how the last year has been, the reception of the book, the feedback, any plans for a follow up? <laughs> So the book has been really well received. Um, I did the podcast with you guys. I did another podcast with somebody in Spain who specifically has a podcast on chocolate. No Amazing. way. <laughs> in English. Putting so if you want to hear it, you know, you can you can definitely check that out. Um, I was interviewed through by, by my colleague, Glenda, uh, for the book launch by Toronto Press, which is where it came out from. Uh, and it was in the editor's picks of Choice Magazine in this past April. So no way. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. It's been exciting. And then in a couple of weeks on September 6th, I will be giving a talk uh, for the Instituto Cervantes. So Cervantes being the author of the Quixote. They, Spain has created this institute called the Instituto Cervantes that is all over the world. Um, and so the Manchester Leeds version of the Instituto has invited me to do kind of a more informal conversation, book talk. Um, and anybody can can join because it's on Zoom. I'm not going to go to Manchester <laughs> Leeds, unfortunately, this time. But uh, it's going to be on Zoom. So I can give you the link for that as well if people yes, are interested. please. And again, it will be in English. So no worries. There. No worries there. Um, but yeah, I mean, last thing is there... Any follow-up that you would do? Or have you have you said all you have to say about chocolate? Have I said, I mean, can you say all you have to say ever I about chocolate? I don't know, right? I like, don't know. That's the question. And, and, you know, because the book dealt with the cultural and kind of societal phenomena, phenomenon? 
whichever one, around chocolate, I mean, this is a constantly evolving thing, right? And with climate change, with ethical practices by huge companies, like chocolate is going to continue to be something that can be talked about, but are you going to do that? <laughs> Maybe. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I don't, I don't want to make answer. any promises either yeah. way. Okay. Heck yeah. Well, that's about all the time that we have for today's episode. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us and coming back to catch us up on the new and exciting things you have going on. For sure. Thank you guys so much for having me back. Thanks, Aaron. This has been a Research Recasted Reunion. Thanks so much for listening and stay tuned for more follow-ups with our researchers. Please visit us on Instagram at Research Recasted to give us a like and a follow. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you like to listen. This has been Research Recasted, a knowledge mobilization podcast brought to you by the Office of Research Services and Faculty of Fine Arts and Communications at McEwen University. Research Recasted is hosted and produced by Dylan Cave and Brittany Eklund. Music, sound design, and editing by Dylan Cave with research, copy editing, and scripting by Brittany Eklund. Our executive producer is Ray Bree.